Welcome to Eyeballs number six with myself, Lynn Hester, and on my left, Matt. Hello. And Jerry. Hello. So what are we going to kick off with today? We're going to start with a discussion about guide dogs and the increase in attacks on guide dogs by other dogs and the various issues surrounding that that have recently been in the news. We read the article from The Sun, I think it was, that David Blunkett wrote. The statistic that was used is that there are now seven attacks per month on guide dogs. In some of the press things, it said it's doubled in the last year, but to my knowledge, I think guide dogs have really started monitoring it. So now we're getting more of a picture of what's going on. And also there are more um, dogs bred now for aggression. Mm. You know, street dogs everywhere, Cambridge, wherever you go. It's a fashion. It's not a new fashion because people used to, you know, even in the Victorian times, used to have a dog by their side in the street as a weapon, basically. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a very much a fashion now. You've got to have your, your dog by your side it just says keep away so I think that's one of the reasons why guide dog you know inevitably guide dogs are going to get attacked by other people's dogs and they have no control over them the thing that you need to get in context though is there are attacks that happen but are there a lot how concerned should we be does it stop you going to the park and letting your dog off when the the media sort of pick up on something then you know it's everyone assumes that it's a much bigger problem than perhaps it actually is if it's always in the papers it must be true I don't know but perhaps there are, there are more guide dogs now it, mm. it is um, not very pleasant to be handling a guide dog when uh, another dog attacks. Every time you go into Cambridge you know there's always a dog will come legging up and bark at Phoebe. Have you experienced the dogs attacking your dogs? Well, Millie was having a free run in the park years and years and years ago, and a collie came up to her and bit her in the mouth, and mm. there was blood all over the place. It was horrible, but it was just a dog biting another dog. It didn't, guide dog wise, it didn't affect anything. And funnily enough, a couple of months ago, exactly the same thing happened to Phoebe. She was running free. Having fun, and another dog came out and bit her on the nose. Mm. And again, it was blood, and it was horrible. But again, it hasn't affected. In both cases, it hasn't affected my work or yeah. their work because it's just that was just a one dog bites another dog. It happens all the time. What about you? Have you ever had a, an incident? Um, with my last dog, and it's when my children were quite small. These friends of mine took us to Yarmouth for the day, and a bull terrier type dog came and attacked my dog and it was really awful really. was it like whilst you were working and walking down the street no 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 we were sitting on the beach there was nobody on the beach it was sort of September late September or something but it, you know just sitting there having sandwiches or something and this dog just launched itself and uh, and my friend who's a wheelchair user sort of said get the dog off and she said shut up and so I'll tip you out wheelchair I've not had a a working guide dog for some time but uh, when I used to come into town I was 
very often a dog approach. Dogs appear to be in control until they're confronted by another dog. And they are just dogs, of course. And if they've had no appropriate training or handling, they will fly off the handle and and do things which are unpredictable. Mm. And sometimes those unpredictable things include attacking a dog. Sometimes it's a guide dog. When you go out and about, you do come across people who, like you say, Matt, are there and using dogs as weapons and walking in the street in that fashion. But there are a lot of people who fall into the category of having lively dogs that they can't really control very Mm. well. And sometimes those dogs will be involved in incidents which you could regard as attacks. Mm. Mm. But you could also regard them as incidents of dogs being dogs and just... You yeah, know, no, you're right, you're right. Uh, you know, whether you, whether you say oh, it's boisterous, playful behaviour and all dogs have a little nip at each other sometimes. The thing is as well, a guy dog generally, I'd say, would see the other dog and sort of go, oh, hello, you know, I'm, I'm a guy dog, I'm ever so friendly, mm. and then get attacked. One of the things we should talk about is the consequence of an attack on a guide dog. If you are a guide dog owner... For some dogs, they won't recover, and mm. probably some owners would be the same. If the attack is devastating enough, the cases that were in the article, one was about a dog that came on a bus. Yes. And I think that would be absolutely terrifying if a dog was ripping your dog apart and you're in that confined space of a bus. That would be a total nightmare. And equally, if I was on my own in a park and the dog has been badly injured and lost your yeah. mobility and of getting out, get of out, out of that park. that position, yes. You know. When Millie got bitten, my first guide dog, one of the things that sort of flashed through my mind was... I hope this isn't too bad because I've got to get home. Sort of identifying the injury and uh, deciding whether it, it it's possible to uh, work you know, with your dog to get out of the situation, I suppose, is a difficulty. Well, thank goodness for mobile phones in those situations, really. The other thing what I found was reading the article that was in the paper, which was in the Sun newspaper, and then hearing the discussion on the radio, they were quite different in a way because the article in the papers seemed to sort of outline the case studies of those attacks, really. And the thing on the radio was more about focusing on whether the law should be changed to regard it as an assault on a person if a guide dog is assaulted. Yeah, it's kind of dealing with the consequences of the attack and how you do that, whether you enshrine it in law that this is just the same as attacking a person or setting a dog on a person if you if you let your dog or don't stop it from attacking a guide dog is that just like the, your dog attacking a person or should it just be regarded as an attack on a dog you see I, I'm what I'm quite clear about is if is somebody and they purposely set their dog onto your dog I think that that is a hate crime and I think it needs to be dealt with under the hate crime 
rules, regulations, laws or whatever. If I did it because I didn't like blind people, then it's a hate crime. If I did it because I just thought it would be funny and it had nothing actually to do with blindness, then it's assault. We should say actually to people listening that we are here in this room with two guide dogs. They are with us now at our feet. And they're not doing uh, not very doing much at the moment. They haven't, they haven't hardly said anything, have <laughs> no, they? No, I think we've asked them their opinions on this. I'm not sure of the law surrounding hate crime. What would decide that this is a hate crime rather than not? Hate crime doesn't necessarily have to be a physical attack or assault. There's a lot of hate crimes that are around not liking disabled people. Yeah. Yeah. Because of their disability. This is quite depressing, really, isn't it? I'm trying to think, two incidences in the whole time I've had uh, a guide dog for about 15 years. Mm. Only two things I can think of. One was I was walking down the street, this was in town in Cambridge, and a bloke sort of, as I walked past, he was walking the other way, quite crowded, lots of people around, and he leaned over and waved his hand in front of my face, and he went, blind like that mm-hmm. another one was in a pub and you know your stereotype drunk person um, I was sitting there having some food and he was going oh I can't believe you're not giving some of that food to your dog and like she, she, your dog works so hard for you and you're not giving any of that mm-hmm. food to her and it was that so uh, you get a little bit of it oh, well I've had a little bit of it I yeah yeah, and I suppose one of the things that you don't really recognise it as anything other than sort of stupid behaviour, really. Where we are hmm. is a fairly safe area of the world, really. I think, you know, we're extraordinarily well-protected and safe around behaviour. As me, you know, I'm a 40-odd-year-old male, and how it is for other people, how they feel, I think... You know, different gender, different ages of people. Mm. You know, they may feel more vulnerable than you or I, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I can imagine for some older people with guide dogs that could be quite difficult. But equally mm. for very young people, if they're just starting out, equally it can be very difficult. Yeah, and it, it can be kind of devastating, I think, if you are in either of those situations. But if you're young and you have an incident at you know, the beginning of your adult life, really, that, um, that is traumatic and you know, dealing with that and coping with that through the rest of your life, I suppose, it, it can change how you do things. So. Hmm. For as long as dogs have been around, dogs fight with other dogs... But we, yeah, we just happen to be living at a time now where there is a fashion that's come mm. round again of people having dogs on the street and that kind of thing. Yeah. They may be the nicest people in the world. Yeah. And there are more guide dogs on the street now than ever before, ever before. So yeah, you know, just going through a bit of a time now where they're clashing. But I don't think it's anything that, that guide dog owners should worry about. Because if it happens to you, that's really terrible and awful. But... I don't think that each time you should you go out of the house with your dog, mm. you should worry about I might be attacked. Yeah, I mean I think that's because it, 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 it's you know, far more likely yeah. that it'll, you'll be fine. Guide dogs also within the UK, I suppose we must say, yeah, are campaigning, raising awareness for um, microchipping of all 
Yes, yeah, old ones, and in order that ownership can be traced. That's got to be a good thing for everybody, really. Any guide dog owner who experiences an attack on their dog should contact guide dogs and report the incident in order that they can collate and collect statistics on attacks and advise on dealing with an attack. Contact them in the usual way that you do. If you're an owner, you will, you will know who and how you normally contact the organisation. And there is also a form on the Guide Dogs website, www.guidedogs.org.uk. The form can be downloaded and used to report incidents. We will put a link on the podcast page directly to that form. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about Jack Osborne, Ozzy Osborne and Sharon Osborne's son. Social networking, Facebook and Twitter. Surveillance and CCTV. And an Austrian politician who got caught out. But before that, we'd like to remind you of our contact details so you can get in touch and leave feedback for us. Firstly, the email address is podcast at camsite.org.uk. Camsite is spelt C-A-M-S-I-G-H-T. And our phone line, our feedback phone line, which is 0845 287 4999. Again, you can leave feedback messages there and there is a chance that they will be included within the podcast recording. Moving on now to a story from the Daily Mail. Jack Osborne has been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and he has lost a considerable amount of vision from one eye. What was interesting a little bit to me about this is how news is being announced now and uh, quite often we're hearing that things were announced via Twitter Mm. yeah and then people respond to it and governments respond to it government departments Mm. respond via Twitter and it is reported on radio and television and in, in print media but if you don't use Twitter you can sort of be left behind with a story unless the other media take up the story. So, you know, Jack Osborne announced or someone announced on his behalf on Twitter that he had been diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. And then there's a whole load of responses to this announcement. And if you are really interested in Jack Osborne, it appears that some people are the story that you get around that unless you are a twitter user can be somewhat limited you know to the few tweets that the other media will read out or mm. or praise even i mean a tweet a tweet or these twitter messages tweets uh you can only use 140 characters in one of them so how the media 
are able to uh, kind of praise those is kind of interesting anyway that mm. uh, they do. Yeah, it seems that if you're not a tweeter, you end up getting sort of like the end result of a story if, yes. if it yeah. you know, becomes anything at all. Do you tweet, Jerry? I don't, in fact. <laughs> um, is it doable for a blind person to tweet? It is doable, and yeah. Do you yeah, tweet? Quite you? a few, few <laughs> blind people no. do tweet. I think I would, if I started doing it, I'd have to be spending so much time involving myself with reading tweets yeah. and tweeting back that I've just opted not to. Now, you, hear, you do hear often, I've heard on the news, of people that are sort of um, infamous and prolific tweeters, mm. um, famous people, who all of a sudden say, right, I'm not doing it anymore. Mm. Yeah. And that seems to happen quite a lot, doesn't it? People saying, I've given it up, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Often for negative stuff. Because people have been being horrible, basically. Yeah. yeah. So it's a funny world. I, 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 for those people listening to this at the moment, I don't, uh, I don't tweet. So don't tweet me and tell me <laughs> that you hate me. What about? I, uh, I haven't got a tweet machine. Uh, what about Facebook, which is of course the other? Now I do have a Facebook account. I rarely bother with it, and. Again, it's a bit for the same reason. Lots of people enjoy it. It's quite funny, really, because yeah. my cousin is fully sighted, normal eyesight mm-hmm. person. And he's a very popular chap, and he's got lots of friends and everything. But mm-hmm. he's not on Facebook for the same reason I don't use it. If you're going to sort of socialise and tell people stuff, I'd rather do it in real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got friends now who, if you say to them, what did you get up to the weekend? They'll tell you what sounds like a really fantastic weekend but actually they've just been sitting moved. on yes. their laptops <laughs> and doing their whole social life just online yeah yeah it's really no, weird for some people of course it is a, an, an opening up of socialising yeah you know. I mean it is, it's a, it's a, if you like it it's great and you know for for visually impaired people some people may consider you know that it's difficult to get out it's hard to move around, so sitting at a laptop might be a way that you can yeah. uh, socialise without having to do those complicated things, mm. uh, uncomfortable things for some. And the other thing, of course, is for for uh, you know far flung friends and relatives. You know, there are there are many many positive things to say about Facebook. I think but so. Yeah. I mean, there are, but if you're just not into social networking, then you don't do it. Well, I've noticed that if you ever do any online shopping mm. uh, nowadays, um, it's all like Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. And there's sort of things on it that say, um, that, well, I, I bought um, a mirror the other day for the bathroom. Mm. Not for myself, but like when friends come around, they say, well, you haven't got any mirrors, Matt. Get a mirror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got any clocks on the wall. You haven't got any mirrors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> You've got any light bulbs. Um, <laughs> and uh, I noticed on, on, on the... Th- website that I've got it from and it said would you now like to tweet your friends and tell them that you've just bought this fantastic mirror <laughs> tweet this is, you say that a lot on websites I you know because I do Tesco online shopping other yeah. shops are available I do Tesco too and so it's just like so, the yeah. might follow us on Twitter and you think yeah. well, what on earth? why why would I want them to be my Facebook friend you know like <laughs> Tesco. <laughs> Must just have a chat with Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then I sort of think maybe I'm maybe I'm 
I'm missing something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just, they are Often my friend. They send shocked. me emails every day. One of the things we were going to look at, wasn't it, mm. was about surveillance. Yeah. Like all surveillance or being able to track what uh, internet sites or who, who people yeah, are emailing. Who you've contacted by yeah, who you're phoning, who you're contacting on the, online and so on. Mm. Which is. Well, when I, when I read this story about the Austrian politician, I was a bit disappointed, actually. I thought it was going to be a bit more racy than that. Yeah. <laughs> this was from the Telegraph newspaper website about an Austrian politician who was captured. Captured is the word they used. He was caught with his trousers down. <laughs> yes, captured uh, in... On CCTV, well, it's not actually CCTV, on film, should we say. Yes, in, in the woods, um, with what? Having sex, basically. I noticed they didn't really mention his partner, whoever he was having sex with. But <laughs> no, I'm not quite sure if it's a, a male or a female and whether or not. But one of the points is making that he, he was being entitled to a certain amount of compensation. And uh, you know, didn't say whether his partner would be, or whoever he was doing this with, would be entitled to it. Well, yeah. perhaps it was a, I don't know, a bear or something. <laughs> but, uh, I think <laughs> with he certainly was bear, man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> um, yeah, right, I think a couple of things I'd say. Right, it would be a shame to litter the woodland with hidden cameras, mm. and even if you couldn't see them because they were hidden you kind of think it's a shame to have cameras all in such a natural place even though they don't really do much harm really the other thing I sort of thought was perhaps it would be an idea at the entrance to these places or wherever just sort of subtly somewhere to have little signs that says cameras are used in this woodland to mm. capture wildlife and stuff like that so you might possibly bear that in mind but as for this bloke having sex in the woods there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because if you think about it, what what possibly on this earth could be more natural than that? So Presumably you know, these cameras which are there to capture what wildlife are up to will at some point be capturing wildlife yeah, having sex. Just having <laughs> human, yeah. you know, wildlife. The footage that they had then of this bloke, I don't know how, how that actually came out to pe- for people to know about it. I don't really know... You know, if, they, if somebody thought, oh, this would be funny, let's put it online, presumably. Yeah. That's well, what is interesting in a way about this is that no one has actually made the footage available. Yeah, the organisation who, who the cameras belong to, it's a kind of wildlife preservation type organisation, they uh, use these cameras to monitor or observe wildlife. So I wonder and, how, he, uh, how he found out that he... That they out. told him. Mm. But but I mean if they if they said to him, um, just to let you know that we we know what you did in the woods. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a tricky one. Personally, I would laugh and say it's all right. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. But I think I reckon that if you're going to have a woodland, as I said, that's littered with cameras, because it said in the thing about how many loads of cameras there are now. Mm. Um, there should be some kind of, you know, warning s- sign uh, somewhere, yeah, making it known that as visually impaired people, 
How do you feel about being monitored and looked at in all sorts of other places? You know, we're, we're not necessarily talking about the woods here, man. Just round town, car parks, wherever you go. You know, there are a lot of cameras around. You, you will be captured. I think, isn't it Cambridge has the most cameras in the world? Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> no. Surely. Yeah, really? I think so, yeah. I can't, I can't that's guarantee that's it, but I have heard that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. um, I know Britain's got the most that cameras. That sounds in a the bit world. like everywhere you go, they say they've got the oldest pub to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cambridge has got the oldest pub. Yeah. Well. Um, occasionally, whilst walking around Phoebe in town mm. it will occasionally pop into my mind where I think yeah it's funny you know everywhere I go I'll bet somebody's looking at me now mm. um, which is a funny kind of a feeling I, the only thing I think is, is that those people in the monitoring room would probably go oh, let's blow those guys yeah yeah I mean I suppose what I was thinking really is that if you can't see as the three of us cannot does it feel strange that people can look at you in all sorts of situations and observe what you're doing? And, you know, does being visually impaired have any bearing on that? Or are you just like a normal person? Because everyone gets looked at. Mm. I think that's a completely brilliant question. And I like that question. And... It's difficult to answer. Um, if you, I mean, only just, just last night I was sitting around my mate's house, and there was about ten of us. And there was only me you couldn't see. Mm. So occasionally it will flash into my mind, and I think it's funny, you know, all these people can see exactly what I'm doing, but I can't see yeah, them yeah. at all. Um, and I personally, I feel I feel totally relaxed with it. I don't mind. Mm. Um, I don't mind that actually. You know, being in social <laughs> situations. Sometimes, uh, you know, in my job, occasionally for publicity purposes, photographs are taken and put on websites and that sort of thing. And I've come across the occasional person who's visually impaired, who is uncomfortable with having their photograph taken because they can't look at it and decide whether it's a, mm. a suitable or good photograph mm. to display to the public should we say mm. yeah I understand and, that uh, mm. and I, I thought about that sometimes and I think you know I don't know what I'm doing you know when, the, when this photograph is I'm completely relying on someone describing truthfully yeah, yeah. what uh, yeah what I'm doing in this photograph and would I be happy for example to be sitting in quite a, let's say you had a photograph taken in a, a, a laughing joking situation and when the camera went just for that split second of the photograph being taken you had a miserable look on your face for some reason. Yes. <laughs> Would you yeah. be happy? To <laughs> <laughs> Everyone around you is or, or vice versa, you know, you know, maybe it's a, a funeral photo <laughs> you're and you're sitting there like grinning, you know. It's kind of <laughs> mm. Mm. No, I, I understand. Yeah. You know, if I'm in a, a like, some like a conference hall and that you're the only person, you know you're the only person in the whole of the audience, whatever, you can't see. None of that bothers me. But yeah, with the photo thing, mm. 
I, I do sometimes feel that. I mean, not that you, know, you get your photo taken that often, but it, whenever it does happen, I do actually. I don't like having my photo taken. Yeah, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it is because of exactly that. Yeah, reason. because mm. you know, you as as someone who sees, someone who's got vision, you may sort of kind of reject that photo on, on certain grounds. You may say, "No, don't use that." Well, I, I used to. I mean, I used to yeah. take photos and I'd look at them and think, "Oh no, that's awful." Yeah. That one. Yeah. You know, or oh, wow, I look much better looking in that one than I actually am in real life. <laughs> yeah. So we'll definitely use <laughs> <keep> that. One. <laughs> Um, but yeah. now, yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. I think that I would take a, I'd take a, a guess that perhaps a lot of visually impaired people would agree with that one. Yeah, I think a lot, especially people who have lost vision. I think, uh, you know, people who are used to being able to look at themselves in mirrors mm. and know what they look like, to not be able to do that. Um, at least for a, a period of time, I would think is quite an uncomfortable position to be in, you know. How do you look to the rest of the world? It would be, I'll tell you something that would be really freaky. Um, as, as you know, I lost my eyesight when I was 26. So the last time I fully you know, looked in the mirror and f- completely saw myself perfectly, I was a 26-year-old, now 40. Mm. But if I lived to say, you know, say I lived to like 85 or something, and then all of a sudden, let's say my eyesight is, is restored... Imagine that yeah, looking yeah. in the mirror at myself, a really yeah. old man. Yeah. Well, on the on the last podcast, we were talking about um, faces and facial recognition, and I was saying that you know I didn't really remember anyone's face, and that is true. Uh, but I do remember my father, and when I could see him, he had jet black hair, but. For you know a good period of his life, he actually he went snowy white, completely snowy white. So when I talk to people sometimes about my dad, who's now dead, um, they know him as a man with snowy white hair, and it sometimes is an odd experience because you know I do get that bit of an image of my dad not very detailed but the black hair is in it mm. so when I think of my father I think of the black haired man mm. whereas you know a lot of people think of him as the white haired man <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's just a bit strange when they mention it and with that strange thought floating around our heads it has come to the end of this episode of the eyeballs podcast It's been episode number six. We will join you very soon in episode number seven. And thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.